Alright guys, welcome back to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club Podcast, August 2014. Joined this month by a couple of our pediatric emergency medicine colleagues. I've got Dr. Indy Trahan here and Dr. Jennifer Horst. Guys, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Jennifer, you actually picked out the topic for us this month, so tell us what topic you chose and why you chose it. I chose the topic non-operative management of uncomplicated appendicitis in the pediatric population. As you know, appendicitis is common in the pediatric population, particularly among children ages 10 to 19 years old. There are several studies in the adult population treating patients with uncomplicated appendicitis with antibiotic therapy alone. In the past several years, there has been changes in the adult population treating certain conditions such as diverticulitis that used to be surgery alone has now switched to more of a medical approach with antibiotics first and then surgery for complicated patients. So as I mentioned, there is literature in the adults for treatment of appendicitis with antibiotics. There's a Cochrane review from, I think, 2011 that basically states that surgery is still the mainstay of treatment, although non-operative management can be considered safe at this time. So we decided to look at journal articles just in the pediatric population. We found four articles looking at this topic. Okay, and it sounds like you kind of had to scrounge around to find those four articles. Correct, correct. There's not a lot of data out there on this, certainly no meta-analyses at this point. So we'll talk about the four articles that we found, what they show, and what we think we can do with this information. Let's talk about the first article that we looked at. Jennifer, do you want to tell us about that one? The first article we looked at was by Peter Minucci, which is titled The Feasibility of a Non-Operative Management Strategy for Uncomplicated Acute Appendicitis in Children. And this was a prospective non-randomized clinical trial. The primary outcome analyzed was a 30-day success rate of non-operative management. Secondary outcomes also included disability days, missed school days, hospital length of stay, and quality of life and healthcare satisfaction. The results, so 77 patients were enrolled over a one-year period, 30 chose non-operative management, and 47 chose surgery. And there were no significant differences in the demographics. The immediate and 30-day success rates of non-operative management were 93%, 28 of 30, and 90%, 27 of 30, respectively. There was no evidence of progression to rupture at the time of surgery in the three patients for whom non-operative management failed. Compared with the surgery group, the non-operative group had fewer disability days, so 3 versus 17, returned to school more quickly, 3 versus 5, and had higher quality of life scores, 93 versus 88%. One of the reasons that I thought this was an interesting article, aside from the fact it's one of the few articles I could find on this topic, was their non-randomized approach. And they specifically chose that because they felt that patient preference was extremely important, particularly in the pediatric population. One example that one of our surgeons gave was that there was a patient, a teenager, who came in who had non-complicated appendicitis but was starting football season, a senior, trying to go for a scholarship. It may be better for him to receive antibiotics where we can be able to play that season and then get an interval appendectomy at the end of the season. That quality of life issue may be important to patients. So I thought that was an interesting perspective on this study. Yeah, this study was quite unique in the way that, as Jennifer described, they didn't randomize patients and they selectively offered the choice to the parents and to the families about which approach to take, and that takes into account their own value systems and their own life events, as Jen described. 
what was interesting about this was that they didn't really even aim to prove one approach better than the other, but just to show the feasibility of a non-operative approach in order to inform a larger clinical trial. So this was sort of a pilot clinical trial, if you will, and at least seemed safe and successful in the short term for this small study. And the other thing I would point out, in this study as well as some of our other studies, they tried to risk stratify these patients. So a lot of these studies, the patients had to have abdominal pain for less than 48 hours, no fecal lift seen on any kind of imaging. So they tried to risk stratify for these patients that are low risk. And I think that's an important point to take here. And by low risk, you mean lower risk of perforation, Correct. lower risk of recurrent appendicitis, all the things that we would want to do surgery for. Yeah, this idea of non-operative management is new enough that I think we want to start with the lowest risk patients first, as you described, also the small size of the appendix on, on ultrasound or CT scans. And then if that proves to be successful, you can imagine a day in the future where people will expand their definition a little bit as to what low risk is. And it does seem like this article out of Columbus, Ohio, is motivating a multi-center study among pediatric surgeons, at least in the Midwest, to expand beyond the 30 kids in each group that they used in this study to try and get larger numbers and see if it remains safe. All right, so what was the next article we looked at? Dr. Trehan, do you want to tell us about that? Our next article was called Non-Operative Management of Early Acute Appendicitis in Children, Is It Safe and Effective? by Jeff Armstrong and colleagues out of London, Ontario, published in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery this year. This was a retrospective chart review of cases all from one single surgeon, again using low-risk criteria, so symptoms less than 48 hours, localized peritonitis, and confirmed ultrasound findings of early acute appendicitis without fecal lift, without a phlegmon, without rupture. So they went back through and looked at patients that this surgeon had chosen over the years to treat with antibiotics versus appendectomy. So 10 out of the 12 patients treated with antibiotics alone, 83%, were successful initially in the short-term period after a more prolonged follow-up period, only one more child was unable to be treated successfully. Among those treated with an appendectomy, again, 10 out of 12 were considered to have been treated successfully because they considered an unsuccessful outcome if there was any surgical site infections or other surgical-related complications. The advantage of this approach, I think, in this study was that you have a single surgeon and single operative technique and single decision tree as to who falls into a low-risk category in order to try this approach of antibiotics alone. The study, given that it's relatively small, non-randomized, was really based upon the choice of the surgeon on which approach to take when treating the patients. It has a lot of limitations in that sense, but it does show that this is a feasible approach, again, without a much higher rate of complications if the right patient population is selected. Yes, yeah, so three out of the 12 subjects who underwent non-operative management in this group ended up requiring surgery at some point. Nine out of 12, or 75%, did not require surgery at any time. So. We've managed to reduce the need for surgery, at least in that group, and we didn't see any major complications in either group, really. The 12 control patients who got surgery, there were two fairly minor, it sounds like, operative complications, and in the group that was treated non-operatively, there was one, again, minor-sounding operative complication. So overall, everyone did well, and you managed to avoid surgery in nine patients. And if we go back to this idea of a potential delay and getting an interval appendectomy for the child to go to school or sports or things like that, it seems like of the first 12 children who were treated non-operatively, two required appendectomy very early on, and the third one was able to wait seven months before needing an appendectomy. So with that sort of duration of follow-up period, it does give a chance for a child to finish their sports season, to finish school and have this done in the summer during their summer break, to not miss a family trip. These sort of things are potential considerations. 
Yeah, this unfortunately wasn't the best study in the world. This was a chart review, but they don't tell us anything about how they did the chart review. For all we know, uh, two monkeys were doing this in a back room, a closet, shredding charts and throwing dung at the walls. We really don't know. They don't tell us who did the chart review. They don't tell us how they did it. They don't tell us whether they used standardized forms. We don't know anything. All right, well, let's move on to the third article that we looked at. The next study that we're looking at was formed by Dr. Spenson et al. It's titled Non-Operative Treatment with Antibiotics Versus Surgery for Acute Non-Perforated Appendicitis in Children. This was a pilot randomized controlled trial. So of the studies we looked at, this was the strongest study. The patient population were imaging confirmed acute non-perforated appendicitis and follow-up was for one year. They had 50 patients enrolled, 26 were randomized to surgery, 24 to non-operative treatment with antibiotics. All the patients in the surgery group had histopathologically confirmed acute appendicitis, and there were no significant complications in that group. Two of the 24 patients in the non-operative group had an appendectomy within the time of their primary antibiotic treatment, and one patient after nine months had an appendectomy for recurrent acute appendicitis. Interestingly, there was another six patients who had an appendectomy due to recurrent abdominal pain or parental wish, but none of these patients had evidence of appendicitis on histopathology. Overall, 62% of patients have not had an appendectomy during the follow-up period in the non-operative group. Of note, patients with appendicoliths were eligible as they were not in the other studies. However, three of the five patients in the non-operative group who had appendicoliths eventually had appendectomies. When we talked about stratifying patients in low-risk group, this study backs up that patients with appendicoliths are not in the low-risk group. They're at higher risk for recurrent appendicitis. So they may have seen better results had they excluded patients with appendicolis, but obviously then you're talking about a, a narrower focus for this. Correct. Another secondary outcome they looked at was hospitalizations. The duration of hospitalization was an average of 34.5 hours for the surgical group and 51.5 hours for the non-operative management group. However, patients in the non-operative group were required to have at least 48 hours of IV antibiotics. Other studies did not require antibiotics for 48 hours, some said 24 hours or less. So these patients might have needed less hospital stay. Despite that longer hospital stay, it seems like the cost of the non-operative management was a fair bit lower. It was about 33% lower for the non-operative group initially, and then even for those that come back and you add in the cost of their operations later on in time, it still comes out to about 24% lower. That 24% number didn't prove to be statistically significant, probably because of the relatively small sample size, but it's a pretty compelling number with a strong trend towards significance. And looking at it from a larger public health standpoint, that might be a, a motivation to try non-operative management in low-risk patients where the families are agreeable to this plan because it may save the healthcare system a lot of money. And Jen mentioned if you can reduce to 24 hours maybe of IV antibiotics and send them home on oral antibiotics, that would reduce costs even further. I'd like to also point out that in the non-operative management group, there was a patient who was initially treated non-operative who did go on to have a perforated appendicitis, which seems to be the most concerning thing that surgeons look out for. And so of all the studies, this was the one patient who did initially have what they thought was uncomplicated appendicitis treated with non-operative management and went on to have a perforated appendicitis. Speaking of surgical complications or scariness, one of the children who had uh, surgical management had an appendectomy on pathology was actually found to have a carcinoid tumor. 
So if some small percentage of children present with right lower quadrant pain, fever, vomiting, and ultrasound findings or CT findings consistent with appendicitis, and they turn out not to have appendicitis, it may be because they have something more pathologic like this. So an argument could be made that taking out all these appendices may help you find any carcinoid tumors. Yeah, I think our chief pediatric surgeon who was there actually made a good point that not all negative appendectomies are truly negative. Sometimes you go in and you take a look not only because you're taking out the appendix, but you're looking for other things that could be causing the symptoms, like a carcinoid tumor. And even some of the children in this study who, over the follow-up period, came back for appendectomies but didn't have appendicitis by pathology, their pain was relieved and providing a young child relief from right lower quadrant pain so they can go to school and be normal activity it's probably a good thing. You could make an argument that a surgery is a lot of intervention for pain, but the anxiety to the family and the anxiety to the child may be worth it, you could argue. Now we can move on to our last study, which was actually out of Turkey. Take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. This last study was entitled non-operative treatment of acute appendicitis in children in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery. This was the oldest of the articles we found from 2007. Interestingly, all the other ones were just recently published or not yet even published, which I think is a reflection of how new this concept is and how there isn't great literature on this yet. But they've been doing this in Turkey for years, apparently. Yeah, it seems like, as with many of these sort of things, the Europeans are a little bit ahead of us. I don't know if this reflects a different healthcare financing system or just that they're cowboys out there. In this study, the authors took a very interesting approach. This study was really a lot more about imaging findings and ultrasound diameter of the appendix. So in this case also, children were not randomized. They were treated at the surgeon's discretion, and then the paper was based upon a retrospective chart review. And the way that they followed patients who were treated non-operatively is that they received ultrasounds every 48 hours and abdominal exams every four to six hours while they were hospitalized on antibiotics. And if they made progress in terms of the diameter of their inflamed appendix on ultrasound, that was considered to be a good prognostic marker, in addition to the usual things like abdominal pain, tenderness, fever, and white count decreasing. And so they made their success or failure criteria based upon these variables. Of note, they had 95 cases of acute appendicitis, but only 16 were included in the non-operative treatment group. So that presents uh, potentially a fair amount of selection bias on who was included. Of the 16 children selected for the non-operative group, they report that 15 were successfully treated non-operatively. They don't have a control group here with traditional operative management, and so we don't really know how to compare them per se. And in fact, of those 15 kids who were treated successfully initially, two more later on, so a total of 13 out of 16, were considered to be successful over the course of of a year. So they didn't compare these guys to anybody else, but they were just looking to see if we do non-operative management on people, can some of them go without having to have surgery and do they do well? And it sounds like for the most part they did. Three needed surgery, no one had any major complications. One interesting thing here was the antibiotic choice. Yeah. They gave ampsulbactam and ornitazole. And Jennifer, what is ornitazole? It's an anti-helminth medication. So a possible cause of appendicitis could be a parasitic infection that causes obstruction of the appendix. It was interesting, through all these different studies, there were different antibiotic choices. But in this study done in Turkey, they not only chose the antibiotic, they chose the anti-parasitic medication as well. And discussing with our surgeons here, they also described that on histolytic 
histological findings, we occasionally find parasitic infections and they will go back and prescribe those patients antiparasitic medication. And specifically, it sounds like they see a fair amount of pinworm as the Correct. cause. So those little worms that crawl out of the kids' butts and you gotta get the scotch tape mm -hmm. down there and find the eggs. Mm -hmm. Very common, a very common infection in the Who pediatric knew? population. Yeah. Pinworm, yeah, appendicitis, salpingitis, it can cause all sorts of nastiness up there. We don't see a lot of that in the adults. <laughs> <laughs> but as a sort of middle-income country developing very rapidly, actually, Turkey, it does make sense that a higher proportion of their kids both have worm infestations and are likely to have these helmets as the cause of their appendicitis. Okay, so those are the articles that we found, and that's the data, and there's really not a whole lot else out there on this topic. So based on these four articles alone, does it seem reasonable to at least offer this to select patients? I think initially in a low-risk patient population, it is reasonable to offer this to them. Again, explaining that this is very new data that we are looking at, but I think it is reasonable to offer these patients, let them have a choice in their treatment at this time. Yeah, it's definitely reasonable to have the conversation with a family that can sort of understand the risks and benefits, have a conversation with your surgeon at the bedside, and as emergency providers, sort of help facilitate this conversation with the surgeons and the families and the parents. My reading of these articles is that the numbers are small, the data is poor, but it's, it's pretty clear that there's no markedly increased risk for this approach, that we could wait 24, 48 hours on IV antibiotics and see how the children do. We've already, in the last few years, seen this shift away from midnight appendectomies, and most of the kids who are uncomplicated, at least at our institution and the institutions where I trained, they get admitted for the night on IV zosin or meropenem or cefoxetin, and they hang out till the morning, till they sort of simmer down. There's reason to believe that that 12-hour gap of time isn't any more safe than a 48-hour gap of time. It might, it might simmer things down. Yeah, we used to treat the appendix like a ticking time bomb, I think. It's going to perforate at any point, and right. if you don't get it out now, they're going to die. They're just going to explode, and apparently we were, we were wrong. We were being a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little too uh, concerned. So let's say this was your child who had appendicitis. What would you guys do? Would you have them take the appendix out? Would you wait and do antibiotics to see if they got better? I guess it would depend on the scenario. Again, like we talked about earlier, life factors play heavily into this as well. But maybe if my child was a teenager, it was in the summertime, nothing else was going on, and if they had something that would put them at risk for recurrence, such as appendicolith, I would say, let's go ahead and do surgery. I also think it's important that in all these studies, when patients receive antibiotics, they were kept in-house for observation. They didn't just say, here you go, and then send you out the door. So I think that would be a reasonable approach. Yeah, I agree. If I had a child who was of an age where they're verbal enough and intelligent enough to tell you that pain's getting worse, and ultrasound findings that showed there was no appendicolith and that it was not a markedly enlarged appendix, and if I had ultrasound findings to confirm that the appendix wasn't larger than 1 or 1.1 centimeters that was used in most of these studies, I would probably give it a try as well for my child. I would guess that many surgeons would probably say the younger the child, they would say because they cannot tell us if the pain's getting worse to go ahead and treat them operatively. Although I think a lot of parents, the younger their child is, the more hesitant they would be to put them under a surgical procedure. Yeah, we know that children with appendicitis who are younger often are more likely to show up perforated. So I think it requires not only a parent that can understand this, but a child that's old enough to be part of this process. Sounds reasonable. All right, well, thanks, guys, for joining us. I really appreciate you guys coming in and talking about this topic. I think it was a great one. Thanks. Thank Looking you. forward to the future data that will guide this better. Yes.
Thank you. And thanks to all of you guys for listening in. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We're at EMJ Club. And check out our website, emjclub.com. Hope to see you guys back next time.